two games, two overtime winners. It's the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert with you on night. Well, I think I've lost count here of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, It was an exciting night, and in both games, uh, the road team prevailed, providing that beautiful, beautiful sound of shrieks in a silent barn that, to that point, was charged up for an overtime period, with the Boston Bruins defeating the New York Islanders 2-1 on a Brad Marchand winner, naturally. And the Carolina Hurricanes getting one back on the Tampa Bay Lightning at Amelie Arena, winning 3-2 in overtime on a Sebastian Ajo winner. I was prepared, admittedly, to come on and talk about how we shouldn't be surprised that two three seeds in the Central and East Division were moving closer to advancing because, let's be honest, Boston and Tampa Bay are much better than their regular season said, and they are still two of the top teams in the NHL and Final Four looks just about right and sounds just about right when assessing both of those teams. But, at least in one case, with the Hurricanes, they were able to rescue themselves and the series with a power play goal in overtime, and I'll get to that power play part of it uh, a little bit later. But we will go chronologically here. It's tougher to say than I expected it to be. uh, And start with Boston's win. Uh, and I guess we got to start with Brad Marchand. Uh, I mean, this was the second overtime winner of the postseason for him and the third of his career. He scored maybe the single biggest goal of the postseason so far for Boston when it was facing uh, at least a potential 2-0 hole in its first round versus the Washington Capitals. And he scored his first of the postseason then to get them really get their feet under them in that series, and they did go on to win the next three games. So it was quick work of the Washington Capitals, but there were some perilous moments, and Brad Marchand got him out of them, uh, got the Bruins out of that moment in particular. Uh, The goal itself uh, tonight against the uh, uh, New York Islanders wasn't a masterpiece by any means. Basically, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, a center for the Islanders, funneled him into the least dangerous, lowest percentage area in the offensive zone. Uh, but Simeon Varlamov in net for the Islanders lost himself for a moment and he exposed the far right side corner and Marshawn hit it, uh, either with a great degree of fortune or pinpoint accuracy and spectacular vision uh, that surely he would you know, prefer the latter there. Uh, he has been, as expected, crucial to the success of the Bruins in these playoffs But I think in Game 3, at least he shares that distinction with Tuka Rask. Uh, I thought this was, for the Bruins netminder, as good of a game as we've seen in a long time from him. Now, granted, I haven't watched the first two games of this series in its entirety yet. And I didn't see every single moment and shift of the first round win over the Washington Capitals. Because, you know what, there's a lot going on here. Um, But in this game in particular... I thought he was tremendous. The Islanders did not produce like a ton of shots, an avalanche of shots, if you will. But the grade A looks, especially early in the game and especially early in overtime, they were in abundance there for New York. And Tuka Rask was there to stop all of them in those moments. He did let one in late in the game. Uh, You know, obviously, uh, you know, he played a uh, role in it. It wasn't a beautiful goal by any means, but he delivered a top-notch performance, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, really. I mean, Tuka Rask being on his game is what Boston needs to have success in the postseason. He was in the bubble last year, or at least he left early, and they lost in five to Tampa Bay. And now Tuka Rask is a free agent at the end of the season. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much Bruins brass um, 
thinks they need Tuka Rask in the fold to have success. Uh, Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. On the flip side, because this was a goaltender's duel, uh, Semyon Varlamov was tremendous until the very end. Uh, He made 39 saves in the game, including 21 in the third period. Most of those saves came directly before Matt Barzell tied the game and sent it to overtime with a goal late in the third. Uh, and I assume this performance earns him another start in game four, but Barry Trotz, the co- Trotz, the coach of the New York Islanders, has used both of his net miners liberally. He's gone back and forth without any regret. Uh, so it's possible that we see Ilya Sorokin come in and try to energize his group once again. I mean, this has been one of the main tools for Barry throughout these playoffs, being able to go back and forth and find a little bit of life by changing his netminders. It's got to be nice when you can just exchange two bodies uh, to have a big effect and to have really no letdown. These are two goaltenders that are capable of leading the Islanders to success in the postseason. Now, I mentioned the 21 shots for the Bruins in the third which basically laid waste to the normal patterns in these games or the score effects that we normally see. And I feel partial responsibility for the fact that it went to overtime because I commented on the fact that the team, the Bruins, were running a masterclass in active defense before giving up the lead in the third period. I mean, we just rarely see teams pour it on when they're in the position that they were in, and we should see it more. Because even though it didn't go their way in the end, I mean, the game did, but they did give up the goal or they, give, they did give up the lead they were trying to protect. You just can't tell me that what the Bruins were doing, basically playing exclusively in the offensive zone, was not the best way to defend a lead. Uh, the one chance, not even a chance, just happenstance that Matt Barzell was able to score in that moment, but that was pretty much all that, they, that the Bruins gave them. They were spectacular in the third period. They looked the part of a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, at least in that third. Every time I say that, though, I always think immediately about the Colorado Avalanche and think, well, maybe there's only one team that's capable of winning the Stanley Cup this year. But I digress. We'll get there eventually. Um, It was Barzell with the goal. uh, His first of the postseason. Maybe a big moment, even if it didn't lead to a bigger moment or lay the groundwork for a bigger moment, which would have been the Islanders taking a 2-1 series lead on a overtime goal. That didn't happen. I would say that Matt Barzell needs to produce more if they want to beat the Bruins, the Islanders, that is. But, I mean, they always find a way to exceed our expectations even when their best player isn't scoring. However, for Barzell, it probably wouldn't hurt, I mean, if not for the team to start scoring. Do it for yourself because I'm sure there will be some heat on him if he doesn't produce because he's only got one goal in the postseason so far. That's more than Mitch Marner. 
but he's also played more games, I guess. And, you know, at some point, if you're, if you're the dog, the top dog in terms of scoring goals and producing offense and being the guy that's going to drive results, if the failure does happen and you haven't done your part, it's going to come down on you. Okay, uh, let's move on to Carolina in their 3-2 win over Tampa Bay. Now, I don't want to downplay the Hurricanes' involvement in these, in these playoffs and their chances in this series. But it seems they took advantage of two uh, situational factors in this game. One, Andre Vasilevsky just did not have a normal Andre Vasilevsky game. You know, three goals isn't a huge amount. He didn't get pulled. He didn't look shaky by any means. And you can't really quibble with Ajo's first goal, a breakaway. A beautiful goal as well. Um, but the first and third goals seem like ones that are normally in, in under the control of Vasilevsky, who is the best goaltender in the world. Um, and then number two, Carolina also benefited from the fact that the officials were actually willing to call a penalty in overtime. I mean, it's hard to see on the broadcast Nikita Kucherov's holding the stick minor, but it did look like a legitimate penalty. So I'm not saying that it shouldn't have been called because, or the subjective call shouldn't have been made. However, if the Lightning didn't start overtime on the power play after Alex Kloran had hustled his way into drawing a minor from Dougie Hamilton late in the game or late in regulation, and that wasn't really a great call, and surely the referees would have been able to review the footage and heard Rod, Rod Brendamore screaming at them, maybe they thought, okay, if there is that opportunity, we kind of have to give one back here to Carolina. I don't know if they would have called that penalty specifically on Kucherov if there wasn't that seeming imbalance, at least at that portion of the game. And again, we know referees do this, right? We know the whistles go away in overtime. So for what, for them to call it so early and somewhat ticky-tack, I mean, I think it's definitely associated with what happened late in the game. Um, Carolina didn't win this game with special teams, but they did win it in a special team scenario. That said, they're going to have to clean things up on the penalty kill if they're going to if they're going to try and come back in this series. I mean, if they give too many power plays up to the Lightning, that might just be a wrap because even if they do improve with their penalty kill, um, that might not be able to get it done or might not be enough to get it done. Uh, Tampa, in this game specifically, converted on both power plays that weren't interrupted by the third period horn. They erased a two-goal deficit on goals from Braden Point and Alex Kalorin with just dissections of the Carolina penalty kill uh shout out to jackie redmond friend of the show who pointed out that the hurricanes went almost 300 minutes without playing with the lead in these playoffs before brett pesci scored the icebreaker tonight i think that's maybe the best example of this carolina team's inability to find the same steady success they've had the regular season i mean this was a dominant dominant team in the regular season they didn't have these issues goal scoring wasn't an issue like it has been at least against Tampa and at times against Nashville. And maybe they were just able to cover up for the fact that they don't have premier goaltending uh, with just, you know, the fact that when under normal circumstances, under the 85% regular season scenario, Carolina's, you know, just structure and talent can win out. But at this point where it's elevated, they just don't seem like they're as good as the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it seemed like Nashville closed the gap. Now, credit to them for surviving this far without playing with a lead for 300 minutes straight in the postseason. It's hard to overcome. They did it because they, you know, 
built a lead against Nashville early in that first round series. And they've managed to hang in this t- into the second round series now versus Tampa Bay. They're in this series now. It's only two to one. They have a chance to even things up Saturday afternoon. We'll see what happens. Also notable in this game, Peter Morazic, goaltender for Carolina, made his first appearance of the postseason, taking a start away from rookie netminder and Calder finalist Alex Nedeljkovic. That was announced today, so I guess he could take a little bit of solace in that, the fact that he was riding the pine for the first time since the playoffs began. And Morazic was great. He made 35 saves. It's a high-pressure situation on the road with the season on the line. I'm not convinced, as I sort of alluded to, that they have the goaltending to beat Tampa. I don't know if it's going to be Morazic or Nedeljkovic. And I think it's going to be a lot to ask Morazic to do what he did versus Tampa in Game 3 again. But I kind of do think he'll be back in the net uh, Saturday afternoon when uh, Tampa looks to take a 3-1 series lead and Carolina looks to even things up. Uh, and take back home ice advantage in Game 5. A quick note before we wrap up this game on Tevo Teravainen. You will not see this pass on many top 10 lists at the end of the postseason. Hell, I'm not even sure that this pass makes the 60-minute show that's playing on loop this morning. But his pass to Sebastian Ajo that sprung him on his breakaway goal, his first of the night, was one of the best passes we're going to see all season. It was remarkable. I mean, he tipped a stretch pass... On the move, the pass coming from his own zone, to Ajo, who was like a good 45-degree angle away from him, in stride so that no Tampa Bay Lightning defenseman could catch him or compete for the puck. I mean, it was just, you know, there's certainly some fortune involved there with that pass, but that was one of the more remarkable primary assists that you will see, and I just don't think it got enough attention, so it's worth mentioning. Before we wrap up, big news of the day. Mark Scheifele handed down uh, from the Department of Player Safety, which is suddenly taking things quite seriously. A four-game suspension for his hit, officially a charge, uh, in the final seconds versus Montreal in the game one loss to the Canadians. Um, I was a little surprised, frankly. Four games is a lot. Um, Is it supposed to be half of what you get in the regular season? Is that an eight-game suspension? If that was a game in February, hard to say. Uh, You know, we talked about the legalities of the hit on the last podcast, so I won't break it down again. But this is a guy with a squeaky clean image. He was certainly seeing red in the moment. I don't think there was any doubt there. And I guess Shifley um, argued that he was, you know, going to play the puck, and that's the best way he could. He felt he could stop Jake Evans from scoring was to literally drive right through his, well, I don't want to say chest because he got mostly shoulder, but basically slam his body into Evans as, as hard as he could. Uh, and I guess the Department of Player Safety said, no, that, that's, that's not how it went because they didn't see any attempt at the puck. They saw clearly just an attempt to make body contact. And I give them credit for finding or coming to that ruling for not buying the fact that Shifley was trying to sell that he was playing the puck because he clearly wasn't. But I am a little bit surprised at four games. Um, when it came down that it wouldn't be an in-person hearing, in-person being Zoom, um, that mean it, it was going to be less than five. So we got the max under what, you know, what we expected all day when it was, uh, I guess, being deliberated. I thought it was more, I thought I thought it was more likely it was going to be two-game suspension, uh, with all the context with Mark Shifley never being, you know, choir boy until this point. Really, it seems. I mean, all players have their moments, but. He's not one that's been in that conversation before. 
Um, so it was it was surprising to see an out of character moment, a bad moment certainly, and one that shouldn't be um, I shouldn't apologize for in any way. Um, but I am surprised that a four game suspension was levied to Mark, Mark Shifley um, by the Department of Player Safety, which has certainly uh, upped its game uh, in terms of suspensions and fines since they basically let Tom Wilson off with assault. Um, okay, we'll wrap it there. Again, the two games tonight, overtime victories for the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. Carolina pulling to within a two games to one in their series versus Tampa Bay and Boston taking a two to one series lead over the New York Islanders. Uh, I will be back tomorrow night. I believe it's Friday again, losing count of all or losing track of all sense of time here. Uh, But Friday night, we got Montreal and Winnipeg game two and Colorado and Vegas game three. Montreal will look to take a 2-0 series advantage in Winnipeg, while Colorado will be in Vegas in front of what's supposed to be 100% capacity to try and take a 3-0 series lead. Um, two heavyweights going at it back out, out there at West, but if Vegas doesn't win that one, uh, it could be curtains very quickly for um, the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, as always, I mean, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. However you're consuming this, uh, I appreciate it. It makes it worth staying up and talking hockey in my basement to a ring light. We'll leave it there. Talk to you guys tomorrow night. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.